0: When I walked out this morning at 6.30 a.m. to make coffee, I didn't want to wake anyone up because I knew my roommates were sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't pre ground any coffee beans, so I would have had to grind the beans. So I just checked our drip coffee maker, and there was day-old coffee sitting there from yesterday morning, which is always a come-up. So I poured it over some ice, and it was, and I say this with all due respect, literally disgusting.
1: You were disgusted by it. You were re- revolted. Physical physical I, revulsion.
0: I experienced the emotion of revulsion. I was repulsed. I experienced mm-hmm. horror. It was like Kristeva-esque like, abjection, like oh full on, like
1: God.
0: body Not splitting Kristeva. from the psyche. One minute
1: and 33 seconds and we've already brought up Anna Kristeva.
0: It was like full mm-hmm. French, like psychoanalytic, like rejection of the ego like it was bad so I added I did the only natural thing which is I added oat milk and then it was Mm. better but it was still really really bitter I think from sitting out overheat for a while yesterday when the pot was on okay so I stirred in this thing that we have at the shop that I got some freeze of which is called uh-huh. chaga do you know no it, literally is,
1: it was freeze. oh was love free, chaga you no know chaga love yeah chaga. I stirred in some it's a chaga. mushroom root it's mm-hmm. a mushroom
0: root and it's sweetened with monk fruit so we're like it has mm-hmm. zero sugar but like it is sweetened it's delicious so i basically added some hippie sugar and oat milk to my coffee and honestly it totally balanced out the bitterness it doesn't taste good now but it doesn't taste like anything like it all met in the middle
1: it doesn't taste like anything perfect it's
0: Wait, did you hear her? Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Thank you for meeting with me, General Counsel. I'm so honored to have retained your services.
1: Do you want me to shake your hand, or is this the bones? I don't want to break them off or anything. They're sort of floating. You'll find that oh. they're clammier than they look. Oh, very, yeah, wet. The wet bones. You have wet mm. knuckle bones, my friend.
0: Yes, it's important. You've got to keep those mucosal membranes working even after death.
1: So, um, uh, what can I help you with today? I mean, I was, I was, um, I'm flattered that you contacted me. Uh, you know, I have been, you know, doing spiritual litigation here and there, but this is, the, I mean, this is the first time I've met with someone so prestigious in their
0: field. Yes, well, you are one of the best in the business, and so am I, and so it's only natural that our minds should meet in this capacity. My name is Pembley Wembley Wimbledon, and I'm a member of the Wimbledon clan, as I'm sure you know from the documents I sent before our meeting.
1: Sir Wimbledon, may I call you Pembley Wembley?
0: I hope you will. I am the uh, 15th generation of necromancer in my family, and... uh, You know, there was a time when necromancy was openly practiced in these lands. Mm -hmm. But as the generations have gone on and America has become increasingly litigious, uh, it's become more and more difficult to interact with necromancy legally. And so I thought, since I've gotten myself in just a spot of trouble, it would be helpful to have you here for the ride. So I will tell you what I've done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You just, just start from the beginning, you know, tell me about your sort of your processes, what you're thinking, um, you know, how you got started on these projects and, uh, you know, if you're working with any people, companies, any other, you know, litigants yes. that might be a part of this.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, I've been training in necromancy since I was a child, gathering eagle feathers, bloodletting of pigs, all that, Ooh. the usual standard practice. Oh,
1: okay, I I I'm just going to um, really quick I just I hope they're not bald eagle feathers as that's a protected species in the United States so I would have to mark that down, you know, it's the first place where you might run into legal trouble, is gathering some of these magical elements. Um, You know, there's many animals that are considered, um, you know, sacred or essential to magical rights that coincidentally um, are not allowed to be kept as trophies or other instruments um, by U.S. federal law, unless you're specifically covered by um, an exemption because of your indigenous heritage by blood quantum.
0: Well, I'm white. But I understand what you're saying, and I certainly have only been practicing with feathers from eagles that have a full head of hair. Uh, Everything we do in that regard is very much above board, I must assure you. Great, great. Glad to hear it. That,
1: you know, just makes our job much simpler if we're, you know, working with a minimum amount of legal trouble. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, 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 uh, and the animal rights—it's always done. The animal bloodletting always done with a butchery permit, uh, according to okay, the various statutes and laws for question. states. Yes, okay. yeah. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yes, I have my are, food handlers know, permit.
1: <laughs> you have your food handlers permit, and you know there was there have been a few cases um, in Florida, in particular, that have to do with outlawing animal sacrifice because it's considered a public health issue. Um, But if you have your butcher's permit and, and, you know, this is something that you have been serve safe certified to do, then you should be within your rights.
0: Yes, absolutely. That is the first thing that we cover. And I must say, I appreciate your diligence. uh, But those that's all above board. It's the first level at which I believe that my family has met all of our legal obligations. Anyway, so I've been training in the Great. necromantic arts since I was a child. I was raised at the knee of my mother, who practiced them before me, her mother before her, and then, of course, as the youngest son, it falls to me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, recently, my cousin Timbley Wimbley contacted me because he had gotten himself into just a spot of trouble with a girl. Which is to say, she killed him. So he contacted oh, me, goodness me. I'm so via sorry for your loss. Scrying. Thank you. Oh. It's well as you'll see, it all turns out fine in the end. Okay, but I appreciate that. Uh, I was scrying one day. My bowl was charging, and I saw Timbly Wimbley's face rise up from the bowl. Uh, and you know, I had my occult crystals surrounding him, casting a pentagram field. And I saw his face rise up from the bowl and say to me, hey, because this girl I was seeing, it didn't end well. And I was wondering um, if you could just raise me up really mm-hmm. quick, bring me back. I'm trying to get another shot at love. I really think I have what it takes to be with her. I think this is a test. That sort of thing.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, when did the legal trouble come in? I mean, obviously, that's a it's a crime right. to well, m- murder somebody.
0: Yes, yes, of course, but I wasn't going to press charges. Uh, but the problem is, we we had already uh, buried him.
1: Oh, I see. So I you
0: see. you may be seeing where the trouble begins. So because he's a, a second cousin, even a third, I, I'm not sure entirely exactly how we were related. I wasn't able to gain permission from the family. Hmm. um... May may I ask what
1: state he was buried in? Was this a home burial? I know that many states do allow for home burial, um, except Mm -hmm. for in the exception of a zoning law in which that would endanger the groundwater. But there are other states where a home burial is much more complicated and requires a lot of permits, like Louisiana.
0: Yes, this is very uh, wise of you to observe because, in fact, Timberley Wimbley was buried uh, on the grounds of a hydroelectric dam, which made deinterring oh, him very boy. complicated. Oh, His family in renewable energy. Timberley. A very modern, necromantic family.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, and where was this uh, located, this hydroelectric dam?
0: This was in California.
1: Oh, okay. Cal—I mean, California—is so you—you uh, you applied for a special permit for a family burial plot.
0: I did not, and this is okay. where the trouble begins. Uh, but okay, I didn't okay, okay. bury him, you see. So this is why I believe we have grounds to counter sue. But anyway, so mm-hmm. his side of the his branch of the family buries him at a hydroelectric power plant. I, with the help of some associates, carefully mm-hmm. using modern methods place the body in my own care as were his wishes as were his wishes he contacted me you understand he contacted me death
1: or 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 uh, uh, after his burial this
0: is after his burial and i understand here we've run into a spot of trouble but i believe legally because he contacted me and asked me it was his will it was his will that I de-inter him. So I believe that he has the legal rights to that because, of course, he requested it. He asked for it. I Yes, I believe that because he contacted me and asked me to de-inter him that I am within my rights to do so given that he is the party whose body was moved. But I also understand that these laws vary state to state and I'm not entirely up on the code. So I was wondering what your thought is also... There's the matter of the inheritance, which he wants to recover, mm-hmm. given that he is now alive. I was successful in my necromantic practice, but I believe his siblings believe that his assets should be subdivided amongst them.
1: In California, it's very much illegal to remove um, any the remains of any deceased person uh, from a cemetery, but um, since you, you know, your family has... Um, obtained this exemption for him to be buried uh, in a family burial outside of a cemetery. Um, The rules applying, um, applying to removal of a body from a cemetery really are not as applicable here. So, Mm. um, it's very unusual, you know, that state in that way. And one of the things uh, mm-hmm. that you may actually be in violation of is I do believe it is um, a class C felony to, um, you know, remove a body from a cemetery. But since this body wasn't in a cemetery, um, it's more likely that that you would be subject to, uh, you know, there's a there's actually a health and safety code. The California Health and Safety Code, actually, uh, this was updated in 2005. And it does say that any person who knowingly mutilates, inters wantonly disturbs or willfully removes human remains from any location other than a dedicated cemetery cemetery without authority of law is guilty of a misdemeanor mm. um there is an exception to this that's section um f- uh 509799 um and the exception to that has to do um with any parks and monuments that are technically Native American historical, cultural, and sacred sites. So this hydroelectric mm. dam wouldn't happen to be uh, an historical, cultural, or sacred site that's being studied for archaeological purposes?
0: No, it's, utter- it's utterly uh, a ah- No, no, no.
1: Okay, so I would say that it does seem that under this uh, you would be subject to, uh, you know, the full persecution of the law under uh, Chapter 2 of... California Health and Safety Code sections uh, 7050.5 to 7055,
0: Mm.
1: which, uh, let me, every person who for himself or herself or for another person inters or incinerates a body or permits the same to be done or removes any remains other than cremated remains from the primary registration district in which the death or incineration occurred or the body was found except by a funeral director so for the first offense of that that's 7055 in the same code um a fine of not less than ten dollars and no more than 500 dollars would be levied against you um but if you mm. committed any subsequent offen- subsequent offenses uh you would be subject to a 50 dollar fine and uh, perhaps imprisonment in the county jail for not more than 60 days so it, it does seem if you if this is a singular offense, perhaps you are willing to sacrifice500 dollars uh, you know towards the this fine um, and it's a misdemeanor so that would you know be on your record public uh, permanently. Um, it's just a question of if then you want to move forward attempting to recover something from the will, You know, hereafter, I will say in general, having committed a crime against the person um, does not automatically forbid you from collecting anything from the will. I mean, obviously, if you had killed the man yourself, you would not be able to collect
0: that. Mm. But he has returned to life. And so I suppose my question is whether the will can be acted on at all
1: the thing about that is since he was declared dead and he and he's not just missing you know he's not just assumed dead he was declared dead um it does seem that you know the here we're talking about sort of the intent or the policy of the law um you know which is to settle and enforce um contracts of settlement which you know is includes the inheritance of any sort of life insurance um, or something like that. Basically, the courts are not – they're not going to challenge any settlement of, you know, distributed property um, unless there's really like a clear reason to do that, but um, so in terms of California, really, he may recover any of his estate which has not been distributed, mm. um, but any of the property that's already been distributed to you um, is really that's, – uh, that's yours, especially if um, – you know how much time has passed since he, since he passed as well?
0: Mm, I would say about six months at this point. Five months okay, from okay. when he passed did I raise him, and this was about a month ago that we got into a spot of trouble.
1: Okay, because if he had been dead for longer than five years, then it would be very clear-cut and you would be entirely entitled to that. But since it's under five years, um, you know, there's sort of a hazy law in in Section 12408 that states that uh, basically it can only be recoverable if that seems, quote, equitable under the circumstances, unquote, which obviously is highly subjective. So that's going to be up to the, uh, you know, the individual judge in question that you are hearing before. Mm,
0: Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. This has given me much to think on. What I'm learning is that my cousin may have led me astray, and perhaps I should no longer be participatory in his foibles and affairs.
1: Mm, It does sound like uh, Timbley Wimbley does have a few personal affairs going on that uh, are pretty complicated. And uh, and it might be in your best interest, speaking purely from a legal perspective, to, uh, you know, avoid entangling yourself financially or nominally in any of his endeavors that, uh, you know, involve uh, murder, for example.
0: Mm, And so you're saying I shouldn't sleep with the girl who killed him as my counsel, you would say that?
1: Well... From a legal perspective, I would say um, further entangling yourself in this situation uh, really can't help at all, but that's, I guess, not technically illegal for you to do that. It might be considered aiding and abetting were it to be found out that you had raised him from the dead in an effort to prove her innocent uh, when mm. she did, in fact, murder him. So,
0: Oh, no, she did it, but uh, I have to make a few calls. Give me a moment.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for your help. Please send your invoice to my home address or to my office, which is a cave. And uh,
1: would would you like to continue corresponding? Should I send that uh, tied to the leg of a rook or?
0: Yes, uh, a rook will arrive uh, at your offices promptly. You can tie it to the leg and it will bring it to my cave. Otherwise, just write a letter addressed to cave and it'll find its way to me. It'll vanish in a puff of smoke. That's how you know that it uh, has gotten to me.
1: Okay, fabulous. It's so good to see you, Pembley Wembley, and and do take care, okay? I'll I'll send that invoice along.
0: Hey, what's going on? I just saw a weird guy leaving my home studio in, like, a robe and shit, which is not unusual for me, but um, it seems like the recording equipment's already going, so maybe we should do an episode.
1: Yeah, I could do an episode. I don't know, I just have mine uh, set up here in the... Foster blanchett law offices. So I don't know if anyone else was using my computer or anything. Okay, cool. Give legal advice to anybody.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I hear that. Um what do you want to talk about this week?
1: Um, I guess I would think it would be interesting to talk about sort of how the law treats, you know, the idea of people that are already dead or necromancy uh being, you know, the practice of contacting the dead. Raising or interacting with the dead because we mentioned it a little bit in a couple other episodes. Necromancy being legal in California, except in San Francisco, where you need a license. Um, and I think it would be interesting to talk about um, a few other case law examples of where uh, necromancy communication with the dead or re- the remains of the dead are involved in uh, legal procedures.
0: That makes complete sense to me. I'm totally down to talk about that. A necromancy law episode sounds too sweet. That's not what that word means. Yeah, it
1: sounds cute, sweet. Um, so, so an interesting thing about the way that the law sees necromancy is that first there are many examples of practices of necromancy being used as an sort of an, an indicator of an inherent character flaw. In, in a defendant or a witness that renders them, you know, untrustworthy or in some cases even um, is used to advocate for um, not guilty by reason of insanity uh, <laughs> or whatever. So, um, but then at the same time, it's also possible to, um, you know, uh, to be a medium, somebody, so, so, so which is what we now call a a necromancer Mm -hmm. um to be a necromancer and sue somebody else for libel if they say that necromancy doesn't exist Mm, yes that's interesting to me because the existence of necromancy is the basis of their business and the basis of uh, any sort of suit uh any libel suit where you're saying hey that person said that My necromancy is a fraud. My necromancy is extremely legit.
0: Highly real.
1: Uh, Highly real. And uh, you can win on that. But I guess that has to be if it's depicted in like a false or defamatory way. Um, So that's interesting.
0: So it's similar to like what we were talking about in previous episodes. Those who have not listened to our full Ghosts in the Law arc were Mm – we're still working through some of that ground. This will be our, I think, our last episode about it. Um, mm-hmm. So, would you say that it's similar we're transitioning to, to necromancy? Would you say it's similar to what we were talking about with the haunted houses, where it has less to do with the facts of necromancy being real or not, and more to do with Absolutely. the public perception around business practices?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's another example of just sort of like. Like this and the intellectual property thing that you talked about um, where it's like generally a disdain in the law. Um, the article I read was calling it ambivalence in the literal sense of like being of two minds. But really it's a disdain, right? A disdain of the, you know, sort of like hege- uh, hegemonic. Damn it. I can't pronounce that word. How do you pronounce the hegemonic. word? Hegemonic. like this. Hegemonic. There's like a disdain in the sort of hegemonic legal voice in America for the practice of necromancy. But at the same time, there's as soon as there's business interests involved, you're entitled to necromant. To necromance.
0: Necromant. Is that a verb? To taking the necromant.
1: What's the verb for necromancy? Necromant? Necromance? Necrome? Mm,
0: necrome is just cool. Practice. I love necrome.
1: Necrom- to practice necromancy. To wizard. To whiz, yeah, to wi- to Zard basically. Um, I guess Zard is like those bad guys from Donkey Kong, so never mind. So that's odd. But then there's like, I mean, there's tons of examples of, I mean, even the United States, like Supreme Court, has said that, uh, astrology and necromancy, among others, are you know fields of expertise where even if you are practicing a sci- a scientific method or even if you have ascended to be very high in this field those are inadmissible fields of evidence because they're so unreliable that's the opinion of the United States Supreme Court and then there was you know there was a there was a trial in North Carolina where the defendant I think it was accessory to second degree murder he himself wasn't the murderer but the prosecution you know they asked the defendant multiple times about his participation in like seances and other sort of like rites of necromancy that have to do with communicating with the dead and otherwise sort of like not raising the dead in, in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the defense objected they were overruled right so here here's another question of like the real effect versus like the experience Mm. of the supreme court said quote unquote they wrote um the real effect of questions about devil worship satanic bibles graveyard seances and the like which in this particular case had little or no probative value can only have been to arouse the passion and prejudice of the jury unquote Mm. so it's interesting to look at that because it's like how is it that necromancy as a field is both unreliable and silly, and the phone is going off.
0: Sorry, that's me calling to ask you about your extended warranty.
1: I just turned the ringer off on that this morning. My mom does not understand how to silence the ringer on her office landline, so instead she just unplugs it from the wall. So then when I silence it, and then she unplugs it from the wall, when she then it back in it is on loud again and it's like bro stop unplugging it from the wall right so um so it's this strange tension as always with ghosts where it's like it's real because it's not real it's not real because it is real um you know these very strange things where it's like so is necromancy silly or is necromancy so significant that it would quote arouse the passion and prejudice of the jury unquote. Right. Which is like the language they use to basically mean like say like, you know, like make the jury, not like somebody for reasons unrelated to the actual case.
0: Is it scary? (laughs) Like, is it genuinely scary to people? Does it make people seem crazy? Like it seems like it has all these emotional Mm -hmm. effects on those hearing the case. Like, the right. idea that you find out someone practiced necromancy or like find out that necromancy is involved in the case and like, you know, it's crazy and you don't believe it out of hand, but also it like upsets you to the point that it affects the, you know what I mean? Like there's just a contradictory I thing guess going on so. in there. I feel like.
1: Yeah. Well, there's definitely like a question of emotion, but then in terms of the Supreme court themselves, like the Supreme court is finding both those things to be true. They're finding both that the field is unreliable um, and that it, is you know not it's not effectual in a court of law but also it is effectual in a court of law right and it needs to be that those comments like need to be reversed or like whatever it's called when you tell the jury to be whatever strike it reverse the yeah exactly they had to reverse the decision um there was another one that sort of like emphasized this weird tension between like, well, does necromancy ma- – is necromancy as silly as not walking under a ladder or is necromancy mm-hmm. very serious? You know what I mean? Because if necroman- if you told a jury, oh, he walked under a ladder, like that hardly counts – that would hardly be something that would arouse like, right, passion and prejudice. Right. So anyway, so a second one is like um, there was a case in Idaho which was capital murder, right, in which the – defendant's attorney his niece was a psychic Mm. and so the niece yes right so the niece had made had uh talked to the murder victim through necromancy and the murder victim told the niece that the defendant didn't do it right but that the but somebody else did it. Um, And that uh, the defendant, the murder victim forgave the murderer, which again was not the defendant. So then the attorney tried to get the case dismissed based on this, based on both the idea that the the victim had said that the defendant didn't do it and also that the victim had said that there was not a need for punitive measures in the case because Mm. the victim was not suffering the effects of the crime you know what I mean like the yeah, victim totally. had essentially vacated their own victimhood and thus vacated that as being a criminal act right was the defense's argument which I think is really interesting and sort of brings into question the idea of like how a person we talked about like last week we talked about whether or not a person has rights after they're dead right um so does a dead I mean I don't know why I'm asking you this opinion question because you're not a lawyer. But having worked in a law office and just as an anthropologist, like, I mean, can you as a person forgive someone for murder? Like, what is what is the function of that even outside of the legal stage or in the league? It's just interesting to think about. I don't know. You talk
0: totally. I mean, I feel like um, well, it brings up a couple questions for me. One of them is something Mm -hmm. that we. I sort of alluded to in our little sketch up front, but that is like necromancy is not just- a what what? Like, um, I did a drawing up front that listeners won't be able to oh, okay, see. Yeah.
1: Right. But it was okay, like a sorry. diagram,
0: a flowchart of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Our sketch. That necromancy, I honestly think this is like from like Dungeons and Dragons and like the like kind of video game magic world. version of has necromancy, become, yeah. yeah, that like necromancy is considered only the raising of the dead, but actually right. I think the word and the concept covers like all communication with spirits in which the right. person communicating reaches out, so it's like the disturbance of the dead, and that can be both the physical right. and the psychological, right? So, like, it's necromancy if you speak to a dead person,
1: right?
0: Not if they well, come Mans- to
1: you, right? I mean, mancy is divination, right? right? So, geomancy, which is like looking at rocks to know things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, what's the other mancy that is like when you talk to
0: chronomancy is like manipulation through time yeah i'm thinking of
1: theurgy there's like a
0: get that squirrel away from the microphone
1: (laughs) no i was thinking of i was thinking of theurgy and i can't remember (sighs) whatever fuck what was i talking about before i got distracted
0: we were talking about how necromancy is communication with the dead, not just the raising of the dead. Right,
1: right. Mancy is like divination, right? So divination is a kind of magic that, I mean, most people probably remember divination from like the Harry Potter class or whatever. But like divination (laughs) is the magic of learning information that people couldn't learn without magic from something. So necromancy is divination from the dead. Geomancy is divination from rocks though also geomancy is not always magic so siomancy is what i was thinking of so siomancy is really what people are think or is what necromancy diverged from in a Mm. semantic sense right in a in in the sense of like a a etymology right so siomancy is comes from the root word instead of like shade so like it's a divination practice that involves communication with shadows of the dead right and that's kind of what necromancy was when necromancy the word was more coined so that's why it has the ending mancies because it was divination but as you said now i think the word has really like transformed to to be uh, another word that i'm going to remember that means raising the dead if you give me a second mm-hmm. but keep t- keep chatting
0: Well, just that I think that it's interesting to think about how necromancy and like laws around necromancy, like as you're discussing, like, what is it there that's obviously what that uh, lawyer did is not necessarily within the normal legal practice. So I'm not even addressing that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, so the defendant fired him got a new lawyer uh, and then he lost he was convicted I guess that whatever he lost quote, unquote, he was convicted um, and he tried to have an appeal based on ineffective legal counsel because you know in the beginning he had that dude um, so they commuted a sentence to life imprisonment instead of the death sentence because this was Idaho so he had gotten the death sentence but they did not find it to be per se ineffective assistance of counsel.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: Which is sort of interesting.
0: It is interesting. I think
1: I think they found it to be instead something that the jury thought was weird <laughs> and made everything seem crazy.
0: I mean yeah I get that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so this was the the opinion. Defense Council's first strategic tactic was to utilize the results of a séance conducted by a spiritualist. Even though this was 1989, so spiritualist only in the sense of they talked to spirits. This person does not. This person who wrote this opinion does not have a, a anthropog- anthropological historical understanding of uh, spiritualism as a specific religious movement. They just mean someone who talks to spirits. From the report of this seance, counsel unquestionably believed that he had received the fact, true facts concerning the homicide. Armed with these true facts, counsel then devoted his talents toward convincing the prosecutors that the real culprit was not defendant, but the deceased's daughter. Having wholly succumbed to relying entirely on that hypothesis, counsel not only forwent making any of the ordinary preparations for a defense, but even more damaging to the defendant, exposed him for uncounseled interrogation by prosecuting authorities. If Mm. Charbonneau, that's the defendant, if Charbonneau's then-counsel was rendering effective assistance of counsel, as the majority today holds, then the Sixth Amendment's guarantee of right to counsel has flown the coop.
0: Mm. So
1: that was the that was the opinion that uh, thought that he should have, uh, that that should have been vacated
0: on ineffective assistance of counsel. I just think it's interesting. I agree that it's interesting. I think that, yeah, there's a lot lot raised by that. I mean, I think part of what's most interesting about necromancy and the law, but also just necromancy in general is the idea of like, and you brought this up before we were recording, but like the intentions Mm -hmm. of the dead, yeah. And whether the dead are, the like, I mean, it's such a question for... It's a big for, question. Yeah, like, metaphysics and religion in, like, so many ways, mm-hmm. and I recognize that, and mm-hmm. we're obviously not going to be able to touch on all of it, but, like, where does the dead reside once they, like, once they die? Do right. we locate the major violations of rights of necromancy within the body? Do we locate them within the spirit, right. within the soul, within conceptions of the afterlife? Are you... I mean, in a truly theological court, you could rule that it's unlawful to remove someone from their place of residence, which would be the afterlife. Right. Like, there are so many, obviously, like, there are so many levels to which, like, so many levels of theological belief that have to be broached before you can create a truly coherent necromantic law
1: right and i think that also like the law is operating all the law can do and this isn't to say that that's like any sort of like inefficacy of the law it's just like in terms of what inherently is legal writing and and legal decision making and you know litigation all the law can do is assume that the personhood is inside the body because the body has to be inside a jurisdiction and if your personhood is not inside your body your personhood is not inside a jurisdiction so it's like a so necromancy because it concerns the idea that a and 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 you know ghosts in general but but especially necromancy because it concerns this idea that you are Abs- not abstracting but you know you are cutting the definition of personhood away from the body right because the body is dead the body right. is in some cases fully decayed by hundreds of years right but and when you're talking about necromancy and talking to spirits but you can't i mean there's there is intent in the law you can you know you know, malice aforethought and all that stuff like that but you can't Remove that intent from the idea that the mind is physically within the body or you have no basis, especially in America, where jurisdiction is such an issue. I don't know. It's like necromancy is really challenging for it's really challenging for the way that law is inherently as a form.
0: I think part of what is so interesting about what, like, as you say, the question of jurisdiction is that, it uh, it brings like a very, <laughs> like, yeah, as you say, like a very American legal yeah. kind of extremely practical, highly like after the fact mm-hmm. approach to something which is sort of inherently speculative in a way that I actually mm-hmm. really enjoy and think is really generative and cool. I think because we have a kind of pluralistic individual sense of religion, in the afterlife in this country Mm -hmm. there's like so many converging views of that well just that it's impossible to rule in any meaningful way on these theological issues I mean it's like straight up church and state like I mean not that
1: exactly you know
0: fucking it just wouldn't be appropriate and yet it always inherently concerns those questions like they're always backgrounded in these matters right when they really should be foregrounded (laughs)
1: Right. And like, that is the core of what makes it so difficult to talk about these things. And, and honestly, what, oh, God, like, there's just so much there, you know, so the idea that church and state have to be separated, and thus the idea that, you know, the law can't treat certain things. So for example, one of the cases that I looked at, um, a pretty famous case called Altman versus Bedford Central School District. Second Circuit case from 2001. Basically, a group of parents who were Catholic were suing the school district because they felt that their children's civil rights were being violated by Earth Day observances, D.A.R.E. programs, certain poems um, which were you know promoting Satanism, occultism, New Age spirituality, um, meditation, yoga, guided imagery, and self-hypnosis, self-realization techniques-these things that, um, you know, created this idea where decision-making and the matters of morality are up to the child, right? So, the mm-hmm. final arbiter of what is right or wrong conduct in a given situation-is the term, like, was up to the child rather than God or their parents. Um, And they felt that that violated, you know, their right to practice a religion in which those things are not true. And they lost. (laughs) And they put it before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court wouldn't even hear it. They were not. It was... They declined to uh, engage with that. But then it sort of ties back to this idea that, like, just like the idea that seeing ghosts and seances is not normal or cannot be seen as admissible evidence or even can be used to discredit someone as not in their right mind, these are things that do inherently Pose a worldview. It is not more willingly engaged in on a basis of faith than mm. any other religions, mm-hmm. right? right? So engaging with the idea that your mind is within your body and your body is within a jurisdiction, and that thus your mind and the actions that it takes and the intent that your mind has are governable by any jurisdiction is a willing engagement of faith and is something that you learn over time no less than any religious understanding of your spirit but somehow that's not seen as a conflation of faith and law right
0: yeah i mean i think there's historical reasons for why that's like the particular way that we cut along the grain in terms of faith Mm -hmm. versus not faith I don't feel mm-hmm. entirely researched <laughs> to, like, go into them, but I no, – oh, I, of course. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I hear you. And I feel like it, like, weirdly goes back to when we were talking about the different ways to advertise fortune telling. It's, like, the law is really best equipped to handle questions of, like, money and property.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh. The religion of the law.
0: And then, like, of course, in criminal, like, death, but even that, it's, like – Okay, what do you, what can you like award? You can't award someone's life. You can't bring someone back to right. life as an award. You can award no. them financial compensation. No.
1: Right. You have no you because you don't have any inherent jurisdiction over matters of life and death. all you have inherent all you have is constructed jurisdiction over the, a material represent, representation of
0: such. Right. And like yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting it's super pinteresting
1: okay do we want to close here and is there anything we want to say before we move?
0: if you have any legal issues to do with having raised the dead or contacting the dead do not contact us for legal advice this is not legal <laughs> advice being given to you on the podcast
1: i am recording this podcast from inside a law office but no this is not legal advice
0: and if you use it as such, we're not gonna be held liable for whatever kind of mischief you get up to, you grave robbing freaks.
1: You grave robbing freaks. Oh, we haven't oh, we were talking about we've been trying to figure out what to call our fans. Mm. So so if any of our fans have an idea, we've so far only come up with extremely offensive suggestions. Yeah, you can read the suggestions we have. And people can DM us on Instagram, um, or I haven't opened our website for comments, I don't think I will. But um, (laughs) you can DM us on Instagram and vote for, or you can text me personally if you have
0: my phone number. And if you don't, you're not getting it, baby.
1: Yeah, right? No, I'm not announcing my phone number on here.
0: Here are some of the suggestions. The question was, Mm -hmm. what are Phenomena fans called? What are Phenomena fans called? Here are some answers. Phenomena males. Phenomenoodles, the cultured class, little green mm. ghouls, baby, ghost fins, phenomenals, phenomenons, bisexuals, Choopy gang, yeah. wizards, Choopy gang, I don't know what that like it's chupi- like, I don't like know, like
1: the Italian popsicle or lollipop.
0: I don't know, that one comes or to like us from Chupacabra. from August. So hard to say. Oh,
1: okay, so who knows? Okay. Shouts
0: out, shouts out. That's my boy. Yeah, um, shouts out, August. That's my brother. Uh okay. Wizards. Phenomenons. Yeah. Duh. No, that one sucks. Is that Ruby? No, that was Nate. <laughs> shouts out Nate. Oh. Oops, I don't think sorry, he listens. Nate. I, I love you and I support
1: your career. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh Argentina. What?